0: And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning to the remnant of the Christ Community Church family. Good morning to those who are all joining us on live stream. Merry second day of Christmas towards you. And uh, you do have, by the way deep spiritual and liturgical reasons to party for 12 days. The 12 days of Christmas thing is not just in that song, it's part of the Christian tradition. So you can party for 12 days. Today is the second day of Christmas and I'm excited to study God's word together. First I do want to take a moment to pause and pray. As Chauncey mentioned a moment ago, there's quite a few members of our church family who are sick right now. There's lots of viruses going on and others stayed home because they've been exposed and want to make sure they're not contagious before they come. I'm sure we also have folks traveling for the holidays, so can we pause and just pray for healing and safety for everybody who can't be with us today, and then ask God to help us hear his word. Please bow your head with me. Our Father in heaven, we do pray for all those... Brothers and sisters who are part of our spiritual family who are sick today, we ask that you would heal them in the name of Jesus, help them to recover very quickly. We pray for those who have been exposed, Lord, that you would prevent them from getting sick or heal them quickly. Lord, in this time on our earth, there's just a lot of sick people, so we pray for mercy for our community and for the world, that you would heal all who are sick. Lord, we pray for those who are traveling, that you would keep them safe as they're traveling. And we pray for all of us who are gathered here or who are joining by the live stream or may listen to the service later, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to hear your word with faith, with understanding, and to be transformed by grace as we meditate on the Holy Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The first verse of our text today is filled with meaning for those who will... Be patient enough to slow down and ponder it. First sentence says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Let's pause just to chew on those words for a second. First, the word Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus. Now this word Jesus, of course, is referring to the baby who was born in the manger who will grow up to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. It's referring to the Son of God. The name Jesus itself is a common name. Actually, it's an English transliteration of a Latin transliteration of a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Everybody say the Lord saves. saves. That name was common in the time in which Jesus Christ was born, and it's common in our own time. The English name Joshua is the same name, and of course the Spanish name Jesus. But when the name is applied to this baby, it takes on a special meaning because this baby is the Lord God of Israel in person who has come to save the world. And our text is drawing attention to that name and to that significance saying, if you want to know the Lord God, look at this man Jesus. And he has come to save his people, his community from their sins. God is bringing about forgiveness of sins so we don't have to live in guilt and shame anymore and he's forming a forgiven community. Next word I want you to notice is the word Christ. Everybody say Christ. We can remind ourselves this morning that Christ, the first part of the word Christmas, is not Jesus' last name. It's a title, the anointed one, which means this baby is the king whom the prophets of Israel for centuries had been promising, was going to come with power and wisdom and justice and compassion From God to heal the wounds of God's people and to bring God's peace to all nations on earth. Do we still need that today? The next couple words say, took place. The birth of Jesus Christ took place. And those two little words, took place, are also worth pondering. Because the gospel that Christians proclaim is not a philosophical reflection on timeless eternal truths. The gospel is a proclamation of an event that took place. It happened in history at a particular time and at a particular place. What we're saying is in this story that we're reading about, the eternal God of the universe acted in a new way and that action of God in this particular time and in this particular place has ramifications that touch all times and all places to bring joy and peace to everybody. The birth of Jesus Christ took place then in this way. Those last three words I really want us to ponder. Everybody say, in this way. way. Those words should cause us to think God could have come to save us in any way He wanted to. God could have been born a thousand years earlier or a thousand years later. God could have caused His Son to be born in a palace, in a different hemisphere of the planet. God could have done it any way he wants to. God is free to not save us or to save us however he wants to. And God chose to save us. That's good news already, isn't it? And he chose to save us in this way. In this way. The particular way that God chose to save us matters. The story has a message. And Matthew is trying to draw our attention in this text to the little personal drama of Joseph and Mary. The little drama of Joseph and Mary, their family troubles, their struggles, their faith, their perseverance, that is the way that God chose to enter the world to save the world. Matthew is saying, pay attention to Mary and pay attention to Joseph. This story has deep spiritual and theological significance for you and for all people in all times and places. And as we pay attention to this story, we see Two people who are ordinary people, full of faith, learning to walk with God, who by the grace of God are called into God's story, and God calls them to great glory, but he also calls them to walk through a fiery trial of faith. This has relevance for us, not only because their story is the story that changes all stories, but also because their story is a model for us. Everybody here today, you need to hear this. God loves you. God has purposes for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to call you into his glory. And when he calls you into his glory, like Mary and Joseph, you're going to have to make a decision to trust him or not trust him. And if you choose to trust him, that's going to be a decision which is, is you're not going to regret, it's going to be a decision that's going to involve walking with Jesus on a path that is going to lead to blessing and life and joy and freedom, but also it will involve walking through a fiery trial of faith because that's the normal pattern for every Christian. And paying attention to this story of God's salvation breaking into the world through these two people, Mary and Joseph, can help renew our spiritual imagination and help us to see our daily life in a new way. How did the birth of Jesus Christ come to be? How did it take place in this way? When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's another one of those sentences we could read really fast, but we should slow down and think what that meant for Mary. In this cultural context, Joseph was probably 18 to 20 years old, maybe a little bit older than that. Mary was probably a younger teenager. Remember, 2,000 years ago, people died young. There were no hospitals. There was no vaccines. There were no modern medicine. Most people died from viruses. People didn't live long enough to die from cancer and heart attacks like we do. They died young. And because of that, they got married young because we're trying to keep the family alive. And we're trying to pass on the species. So people got married young. Mary and Joseph lived in a small community. Probably they had known each other their whole lives. Probably their families had known each other their whole lives. Probably they had most of their friends in common, if you grew up in a small rural community, you know that can be great until it isn't. And Mary and Joseph now have become betrothed. That means they're engaged, they're pledged to each other. Their parents would have taken a leading role in arranging this marriage, but at this time, both Mary and Joseph would have had to give their consent. In other words, they wanted to be married. They knew each other. They had known each other for many years. And now they're engaged to each other And this betrothal, this engagement, is legally binding, which means you can't get out of it without getting a divorce. And if you're unfaithful to your partner during this engagement, it was considered adultery. And the price tag for adultery in this cultural context was very high. It certainly would have meant a lot of social shaming, but that social shaming could have had much wider impact on Mary's life, if you want to get a sense of what the stakes are, we could flip a few pages to the right in our Bible to consider another story about Jesus and a woman accused of adultery, as Mary surely would have been. I'm talking about John chapter 8. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there with me. John chapter 8 says this, beginning in verse 2. This is about 30 years later after the story we're considering today. It says, early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple... All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, or, excuse me, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. Isn't Jesus awesome? And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? I love the story about the mercy of Jesus who puts himself between the woman caught in adultery and the big angry mob of men who are ready to kill her. She was guilty, but Jesus still loved her. We, when we read that story, we need to remember that the baby born in the manger was the God of grace, a God of mercy, not of condemnation. This is the God who was going to grow up to defend a woman accused of adultery. In this case, she really did it. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Listen, if you're here today and you're dealing with shame because of your own sin, including your sexual sin, do you hear God saying, neither do I condemn you? It's true that Jesus goes on to say, go and sin no more. He doesn't want us to continue in self-destructive cycles that are going to harm us and rob us of the fullness of joy God wants to give us. But a lot of times, we're not really able to hear that go and sin no more and respond properly to it until we've heard in the depth of our souls God saying, neither do I condemn you. That's the word of the gospel And he wants to speak that over all of us today. Neither do I condemn you. God is merciful. God is merciful. But the main reason I'm reading that story right now is to understand, to help all of us understand, that could have been Mary. Mary was engaged to Joseph. That engagement is legally binding. If she's unfaithful to Joseph, that's going to be considered adultery. Very rarely, if ever in this society, was a woman actually stoned for adultery, but she would have been shamed And when she was shamed, I mean, she could have been disowned by many of her friends and much of her family. Perhaps nobody would be willing to marry her after that. And then if something happened to her dad, assuming he didn't disown her, if something happened to him, she would have no ability to provide for herself in that society. Her very life could be at stake. There's a lot at stake for Mary because when she gets pregnant, she's getting pregnant in a community where everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. Nobody's afraid to ask about, are you showing? What's going on there? Everybody's in each other's business. Everybody knows where baby comes from, and nobody else was visited by Gabriel. So nobody's going to believe her. These are rational people. They understand how this works. Which means, when we read Luke one thirty-eight, after Mary has received the announcement from Gabriel that you're going to become pregnant by a miracle. And you're going to give birth to a child that will be called the Son of God. And that's going to happen before you marry Joseph. And we read Mary responding to the word of the Lord spoken by the angel Gabriel by saying, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have spoken. That statement of faith and surrender cost her something. She received a great promise from God. You will bear the Son of God. Blessed are you. But that promise of God came with a call to obedience, a call to faith, a call to discipleship, and she knew there was a hard road ahead of her. She knew she was going to be misunderstood. She knew she was going to be accused. She knew she was probably going to be shamed. She might be rejected by lots of people, including her family, including even Joseph. But she trusts the Lord. And in doing that, she sets an example for all of us To follow Jesus is to walk in the footsteps of Mary on a path of faith that leads to a good place, a promised land, but often leads through dark valleys. And at this moment, her fate is totally in God's hand. And consider this also. Her fate is in God's hand, but in His sovereign wisdom, God has chosen that Mary's fate and the outworking of His purpose of redemption is all going to depend upon the choices of Joseph. The choices of Joseph make a big difference. In Luke's story of the birth of Jesus, the emphasis is placed on Mary, but Matthew wants us to notice Joseph. And he wants us to notice that Joseph, like Mary, has to walk through a fiery trial of faith. Let's give our attention to that trial, beginning in verse 19 says this, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Her husband Joseph, they were already called husband and wife even though they were just engaged at this point. That's how binding this was. And it says about Joseph that he's a just man. That's worth considering. Everybody say, a just man. What's a just man? A just man... Is a man who has in his soul the virtue of justice. In the Bible, justice and righteousness are connected to one another. In the Old Testament, they usually appear to be next to one another. In the New Testament, there's usually one Greek word that translates to both. So this could be rendered a righteous man. And everywhere you see the word righteous, like blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that could be translated justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Justice and righteousness go together. And what they mean in the scripture is, when you you say a person, a man or a woman is just, what that means is this person, by God's grace, has formed a habit of soul such that in the core of their soul, they revere God as the Holy One, and they have deep reverence for the dignity of human beings as God's sacred image bearers. Down in their soul, they honor the Lord and they honor human beings and that reverence for God and that reverence for people causes them to live in the world in such a way that they obey God's commandments and they treat people fairly and they treat people kindly. They treat people with generosity. When they see a vulnerable person being mistreated, they intervene to stick up to those who, for those who are vulnerable. This is God's justice. And Joseph here alerts us to the fact that God's justice is something deeper and more redemptive and restorative than what we're often talking about in our culture when we say justice, by which we often just mean strict retribution. Because notice, it says that it is the justice of Joseph that leads him to want to be merciful to Mary. Did you notice that? God's justice is a merciful justice. This is true all over the Bible. Isaiah 1 says God's going to save sinners by his justice. 1 John 1 says God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God's justice is an intrinsically merciful and gracious and restorative justice. And Joseph is a man who knows the Lord. And so though he is hurting, his heart is filled with justice and mercy. Remember that Joseph is hurting. Remember that he's a human being. He's going through some psychological trauma right now. We don't know how Joseph found out Mary was pregnant. I can imagine 20 different scenarios. Let me just mention two. Here's one Mary sends a message to Joseph, we need to talk. And she comes and talks to him, and she says, she's very serious. She looks him in the eyes and says, Joseph, something has happened that I need to tell you about. I can't explain it, and I'm not even going to try. I'm sorry that it's probably going to hurt you but I'm pregnant and I'm going to live with my relative Elizabeth. I just wanted to say you goodbye. And she walks away. She doesn't attempt to give an explanation. She doesn't attempt to convince him. She just leaves it to God and Joseph is left there reeling. He knows Mary. He's grown up alongside Mary. He was excited about starting a family with her. Or here's another scenario. Maybe she comes to tell him and says, Joseph, I have something to tell you. The most amazing thing just happened to me. An angel appeared to me. And Joseph is doing a double take. What? He's trying to find an alternative explanation. He says, no, it was an angel. He was shining. He was bright. And I was terrified. But he said, don't be afraid. And Joseph, he told me, the Messiah is coming. The one we've been waiting for. The Savior of the world. And Joseph is trying to take it all in and says, how do you know? And how do you know this is an angel? And can we be sure? Could it really be the Messiah, the one we're waiting for? And why did he come to tell you? And Mary said, well, that's the other thing. I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. And Joseph thinks he's going to be our child. But Mary says, no. You see, the, the angel said the Holy Spirit would come upon me. And Joseph, I'm already pregnant. Maybe that's how he found out. All we know is that he found out. And he assumes what any of us would assume. She's pregnant, and the baby's got a human father, and the human father isn't him. Don't be hard on Joseph for this, guys. As a matter of fact, guys in the room, if a woman ever comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, but it's a miracle, baby, you probably don't want to at first believe that, right? Unless you get a special revelation. That's not how it works, So Joseph thinks, she's been unfaithful to me. His heart is broken. His soul is wounded. And yet, in the midst of his pain, he's thinking about Mary and how he can protect her. Isn't that amazing? Look at the beginning of the next verse. But as he considered these things, as he considered these things, I want you to see the connection between the word just and the word considered. See, in the tradition of Christian moral theology, Christian theologians have often said that the mother of justice is prudence. And by prudence they mean you cannot be a person who does justice unless you're a person who thinks deeply about things and ponders and seeks wisdom in order to act according to what is right instead of acting according to your impulses. Did you catch that? If you are a person who acts impulsively And rashly, you cannot be a person who does justice. That's what it's saying. A just person is a person who considers, who ponders, who thinks, who prays. And that's what Joseph is doing. And as he's thinking and as he's praying, he's hurting. Undoubtedly, he's processing his grief before God about his feeling of betrayal by Mary. And maybe he feels betrayed by God. And yet, he's concluding in his heart, I don't want to shame Mary. I don't want to ruin the rest of Mary's life. If I divorce her publicly and she's shamed, I know how bad that could be for her. But maybe if I do it quietly, maybe there's some hope for Mary. Maybe the real father will come forward and marry her. And they can move out of town and start a new life. And I'll start a new life. He's thinking like that. He's waiting for the Lord. Friends, there's something important about, an important lesson here for us to learn about how we relate to one another. If you want to be a person who does justice and treats people rightly, you can't be an impulsive and rash person. You've got to be a person who learns to slow down, to pray, to think, to act according to God's wisdom so that in your decisions and the way you relate to people, you're not thinking, what do I feel like in this moment? You're thinking, God, how do I honor you by honoring the sacred dignity of this person? So Joseph is in that waiting period He's praying, he's waiting, he's thinking, he's trying to figure out what to do. And God supernaturally intervenes. Verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I'm going to skip down for a moment to verse 24. It says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What I want you to see here is Joseph, like Mary, is having a moment that is a crisis of faith. Joseph is being led by God through a trial of faith. First trial is, am I willing to be just and merciful towards Mary instead of vindictive towards Mary? By the way, I don't know if you saw the news. The headline when I woke up this morning was that Desmond Tutu had died. Did you see that? Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the great moral and spiritual leaders of his generation, one of four great peacemakers I focused on in my doctoral dissertation. He deeply impacted my life. And he was a man whose life was committed to the work of justice, but it was a restorative justice. There was so much hatred and violence, racial hatred and racial violence in South Africa, everybody thought it was going to devolve into a bloodbath. But because of the leadership of men like Desmond Tutu, peace came. And as an advocate for justice, Desmond Tutu said there is no future without forgiveness, meaning the justice that brings healing to the world is not a vengeful, vindictive justice. It's a merciful and forgiving justice. That was the witness of Deviz Tutu's life. That was the witness of Joseph's life. That's what Jesus did when he stood between the angry mob and the woman condemned of adultery. That was the first test for Joseph, but now there's a new test. Now he knows Mary was not unfaithful to you. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster Joseph's going on right now? Mary was not unfaithful to you. That feels good. He's comforted. She loves me. Now he probably loves her more than ever before. And. You're supposed to marry her, but you don't sleep with her until the baby is born because that really is a miracle baby. He's the Messiah, and you're going to be charged with taking care of this baby. You're going to be the protector of this baby. If you think I'm reading something into the text, just keep reading into Matthew chapter 2. Joseph is going to be charged with protecting this baby from folks like Herod, the king, who wants to kill the Messiah. And Joseph's decision to trust Mary. I mean, at this point, he could have said, okay, I'm not going to make a big deal, but I'm out. I'm moving out of town. I'm going somewhere else. I'm not going to stay with her. But instead, he decided to stay with her. He took Mary as his wife, and he took Jesus as his son. In this way, he's a spiritual role model to all step-parents and to everybody who adopts. Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph. And yet Joseph takes this non-biological child and brings this child into his home to be loved as his own, to be protected as his own. But when he did that, he not only is doing the same act of love that every loving step parent or parent who adopts does, he's doing something else because he's entering into the spiritual warfare of being charged with protecting the Messiah from all the evil forces that are about to try and kill him. Immediately it's going to cost Joseph. Joseph is going to end up being a refugee in Egypt. He's going to end up having to leave his business that he'd been working his whole lifetime to build. He's going to have to go into a foreign, distant land and be dependent upon the kindness of strangers and the grace of God to provide for his family. And Joseph chooses, what does he choose? Look at verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. This is what the Apostle Paul calls the obedience of faith. Christians, you need to hear this. The good news of the gospel, we're saved, we're reconciled to God by grace through faith in Christ. We don't have to earn God's love, amen? And we don't have to earn God's forgiveness. We just receive it by faith. But when Paul talks about the obedience of faith, what he's saying is, if we trust Jesus, of course we're going to do what he says. Why wouldn't we? And that lifestyle of faith is a lifestyle of responding to the summons of God, walking after Jesus with Joseph and Mary and many others on a path of faith that often leads through dark valleys on its way out to green pastures. Joseph trusts. Joseph obeys. Mary and Joseph here are role models for us of a lifestyle that says, this doesn't make sense to me, God. I can't explain how what I'm going through could be a manifestation of your love, God, but I trust you, Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. And I know there's many people in the room who are going through some stuff where God is asking you to trust him or he's going to ask you to trust him in some ways that don't really fully make sense to you. But the role model of Mary and Joseph is saying for us, just, it's worth it, it's worth it. Trust God and walk. And I want to end today by asking you to consider what are the gifts of God that he bestows upon faithful Mary and Joseph and upon us through them. And I'm asking this question to try and make a case to you, friends. The life of faith is hard, but it's worth it. Did you hear that? The life of faith is hard. It's costly, but it's worth it. It's worth it because the gifts of God's grace are better than anything we could find elsewhere. And what are the gifts of God that it gives to Mary and Joseph? I mean, first, let's start with some of the lesser gifts. Here's one of the lesser gifts. Mary and Joseph, humble, obscure people that nobody would have ever heard of from a small town, are still honored. Their names are honored higher than almost any other names in human history. That's one of the lesser gifts. Mary is called Blessed Mother of God. Because the God who created all of us in the universe decided to become human in her womb and entrusted himself to her nurture and care so that 2,000 years have passed and all over the world today people are honoring Mary. Isn't that awesome? What about Joseph? Consider what it is to be entrusted with being the protector of baby God. That's an amazing thought. You, Joseph, take him to Egypt. You've got to protect this baby. Well, who is the baby? This is Messiah. This is the God-man. This is the one of which the Scriptures say, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my fortress. He's my strong tower. God is the protector. And now Joseph's being told, the protector has become incarnate. I want you to protect him. He's given this place of honor And he's given this place of deep significance within the spirituality of God's people. The story of Joseph taking Mary and protecting his little family as they flee into Egypt is why Christians who read their Bibles were so quick to rise up and say, yes, let's welcome those Afghani refugees as they come to Oklahoma. That's why Christians are eager to say, yes, let's welcome the immigrant who's fleeing a situation of poverty and injustice and trying to flourish as Joseph did with Mary. Joseph is a role model to all of us who are taking in children and loving people who maybe are not our biological children but who God has given to us to care for. Joseph is a role model for all of us who are called by God to walk down a path that involves leaving behind things that we had a lot of value in to go into the unknown because we trust our Lord. The names of Mary and Joseph are greatly honored, but... That's not the best gifts that they got. The best gifts that they got from God is they got to have the first view and the front row seat and the sneak preview of the great gifts that come through them to everybody else. And those gifts of God are what I want to finish with today. Look at the two names given to Jesus in this text. First, the name Jesus, which we already talked about. But look again at verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people. Everybody say his people From their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Salvation in the Bible is not just an individualistic thing. When you heard the good news of Jesus, if you trusted that, you were called into a people, the people of Jesus Christ, the forgiven community of all ethnicities spread out all over the world who are filled with the grace and the mercy of God, who can enjoy forgiveness and relationship with God and be a reconciled committee a community learning to love one another. That's God's gift. There's a possibility of knowing God and enjoying relationship with God because Jesus, because he came to die on the cross for our sins and rise again so that we could have community with God and with one another. And then don't forget verses 22 and 23 with which we end today. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then Matthew quotes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah the prophet is awesome. I hope as a Christian you'll make it one of your spiritual disciplines to study the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 7 is a powerful chapter. If you go read it in context, it's clear that initially the words of Isaiah and this Emmanuel prophecy had to do with stuff that was happening at the time. Syria had an alliance with Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah was nervous, so they're making an alliance with Assyria, and the Lord's trying to speak through prophet Isaiah to get King Ahaz to trust in the Lord and not Assyria, and there's a lot of politics and history going on. And the prophecy is, right now, very quick, there's going to be a baby that's born, and this baby is going to be a sign of God's presence and of His judgment on the nations that are trying to threaten His people his deliverance of his people. But already in the book of Isaiah, it becomes clear that that prophecy, it had an immediate application, but it was also pointing beyond the immediate situation to something else. So that the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us in Isaiah 7, gets connected with the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, which is also connected to Jesus, which says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called, you know it, what's his name going to be called? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the St. Paul's kids and teachers know it, (laughs) Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The point is, Isaiah was looking to a small, immediate situation, a small, immediate salvation from God, but he was pointing beyond it to a much bigger and wider salvation from God. And Matthew says, that's what we experience in Jesus Christ. He's not just a sign of God's presence. He is God's presence among us. Mary and Joseph experienced it first. And they call to all of us to say, Jesus is God with us, coming near to us in our pain and brokenness. Hear the call of God's grace. Respond to the call with faith. Experience His goodness. He's worth it. I want to ask you to reflect this Christmas season on this word, Emmanuel. Let's say it before we leave. Everybody say, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. As we're following Mary and Joseph on their journey in faith, we need to think about Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. I want to ask you to reflect how have you experienced God with you in the last year? How have you experienced God coming near to you in your grief? How have you experienced God coming near to you in your failure? How have you experienced God coming near to you in your success? In the joys of life and the sorrows of life? Jesus is Emmanuel. He's the assurance that God is with us. But we can also acknowledge that many of us this year may be feeling like God is not with us. We may be feeling like God is distant and far. I would be willing to bet that Joseph felt that way. He felt abandoned by God, I would guess. I would guess there were times in which everything inside him says, God has forgotten me. God has left me alone. He was trying to pray like, Isaiah prayed in chapter 8. In chapter 7, Isaiah says, God with us. But in chapter 8, he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will trust in him. Joseph had to learn to pray like that. He had to learn to say, God, you feel absent. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. And yet, I will trust in you. And the word of this passage is that God's promise and God's grace is stronger and more important than our feelings which means even if we feel like he's absent, he isn't. And we can trust the Christ who is present with us, whether we feel him or not. We can trust him to forgive us and to lead us and to care for us, even as he cared for the mother and father who were caring for him. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you also for the role models that we have in Mary and Joseph, help us to imitate their faith. Help us to trust you with the unknown, with the painful and the difficult. Help us to celebrate your presence when we feel it, but also to set our faith and hope fully on your presence even when we don't feel it. Like Mary and Joseph, let the cry of our heart be, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. It is in Christ's precious name that we pray, amen.